0: This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Israel is now investigating claims by Hamas that a mother, her child, and her infant are now dead after they were taken hostage by Hamas during the October 7th attack. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger died at the age of 100. Some may praise him, however. Many describe him as a war criminal because of his support for authoritarian regimes. 54 bipartisan House lawmakers called on House Speaker Mike Johnson to not extend FISA, the controversial surveillance law. Joe Biden notified 813 students that he had wiped out their student loans. Biden has now forgiven $127 billion for 3.6 million borrowers, even though the Supreme Court rejected his bid to do so. The documents that supported special counsel Jack Smith's search warrant for information related to President Trump's Twitter account were finally released this week. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was asked to recommend the right person to become President Trump's vice president. So who do you think he suggested? And former President Jimmy Carter attended the private funeral of his wife, Rosalyn. Okay, let's get into it. Among the Israeli hostages that were kidnapped by Hamas was a 10-month-old Israeli baby boy named Kafir Bebas. He was kidnapped along with his brother, Ariel Bebas, as well as his father, Yarden Bebas, and his mother, Shiri Bebas. A video of their abduction that was made by Hamas in order to advertise their own atrocities has become one of the iconic visuals of the October 7th attack. Beginning on November 24th, Hamas started to release the hostages in batches, but none of the Bibas family has been on the list. The Israeli military said on Sunday that after Hamas abducted the Bibas family, it transferred them to another Gaza-based terrorist organization, and Hamas has somehow lost track of them. Kafir's family issued an urgent request on Tuesday for Hamas, to immediately release 10-month-old Kafir, The family is concerned that he has not been given proper food or formula since his abduction. On Wednesday, the al Qazam Brigades responded by claiming that the children and their mother were killed in the last Israeli airstrike in the Gaza Strip. A few minutes after al qassam Brigades released the news about the Bebis family, A senior Israeli official who was holding a briefing at the time said that he hoped that it wasn't true and that there was no indication from the Israeli side that they had been murdered. In a statement, the IDF said that it was investigating the report. The statement reads, IDF representatives spoke with the Bebas family following the recent reports and are with them at this difficult time. The IDF is assessing the accuracy of the information. In an interview with Israel's Channel 12, Shiri's cousin, Jimmy Miller, said, Hamas took them alive. Hamas is responsible for their health. And Hamas needs to give them back to us alive. The IDF statement added, Hamas is wholly responsible for the security of all hostages in the Gaza Strip. Hamas must be held accountable. Hamas's actions continue to endanger the hostages, which include nine children. Hamas must immediately release our hostages. Past reports of the deaths of hostages have turned out to be erroneous, so we also hope that this bad news about the Bibas family is also false. On Wednesday, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger died at the age of 100 at his home in Connecticut. Kissinger, who was a German-born American diplomat, played a key role in shaping U.S. foreign policy during the late 20th century. He served as Secretary of State for two presidents. During President Nixon's term in the 1970s, Kissinger participated in many significant global events. Kissinger also engineered the opening of relations between the Chinese Communist Party and the United States during the Cold War in the early 1970s. His efforts also led to arms control talks between the United States and the Soviet Union. In addition, Kissinger increased ties between Israel and its Arab neighbors. His 1973 Paris Peace Accords also ended the Vietnam War that led to communist conquest. In fact, President Nixon appointed Kissinger to be his national security advisor after winning the 1968 election on the promise of ending the Vietnam War. That process was a long and bloody process. Some may praise Kissinger, however, many describe him as a war criminal because of his support for authoritarian regimes, especially in Latin America, Yet it remains unclear to what extent the United States supported the 1973 Chilean coup that ousted Salvador Allende, a support that led to the establishment of Augusto Pinochet's military dictatorship. According to a 1975 Senate committee investigation, the U.S. participated in covert operations in Chile during the 1960s and 70s. However, the investigation found limited evidence linking the US government to Pinochet's coup. After Nixon resigned from office in 1974, Kissinger's role as the architect of US foreign policy declined. However, he remained a diplomatic force under President Gerald Ford, and he continued to express strong opinions until his death. Despite celebrating his 100th birthday in May, Kissinger continued to be active. He participated in White House meetings, published a book on leadership styles, testified in front of a Senate committee on North Korea and he met with the CCP leaders in Beijing on July 20th. However, Kissinger faced restrictions on his travels in his later years. This was because other nations attempted to question or arrest him regarding foreign policy decisions. He was also criticized for his paranoia and egotism by former President Gerald Ford, among others. Ford once called Kissinger a super secretary of state, saying that Kissinger had the thinnest skin of any public figure he had ever known. In a letter on Wednesday, 54 bipartisan House lawmakers, including Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and progressives, called on House Speaker Mike Johnson in order to not extend FISA, the controversial deep state surveillance law. The letter came weeks before the year-end deadline for Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. Section 702 is a law that allows intelligence agencies to collect the communications of targeted foreigners. Section 702 also could lead to targeted surveillance of Americans' private communications. Privacy advocates consider this section to be a runaround, the warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment for searching Americans' communications. Section 702 will expire at the end of 2023. However, the 54 House lawmakers said that Speaker Mike Johnson, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell should not pursue a reauthorization of Section 702. The lawmakers wrote in their letter, that if Section 702 is to be reauthorized for even a single day, it must be through standalone legislation subject to robust open debate and amendment. The congressional letter comes after Mike Johnson's office refused to confirm Matt Gates's claim that Section 702 will not be reauthorized. Gates also claimed that the legislation would be tackled in a single subject bill. However, some lawmakers involved in the process consider the extension of Section 702 to be necessary. But even a temporary extension would grant a one-year certification for Section 702, much to the dismay of privacy-oriented citizens. On November 28th, Joe Biden notified 813,000 student loan borrowers via email that their debts had been wiped out. Joe Biden's push for the relief program coincides with the looming 2024 election and his desire to get young voters on board. In total, 3.6 million borrowers will have had $127 billion in debt wiped out since Biden took office. More than 614,000 borrowers will have their remaining federal student loan debt entirely forgiven. The new move means that Joe Biden has forgiven $127 billion for 3.6 million borrowers. Biden argued that cancelling student loan debt is helpful for the economy as borrowers will spend their payment money on other items. The email reads, Congratulations, your student loan has been forgiven because of actions my administration took to make sure you receive the relief you earned and deserve. The emails came despite the fact that Joe Biden's previous plan to cancel $400 billion in debt was rejected by the Supreme Court in June. Since then, the Biden administration has sought other ways to deliver on its promise of student loan debt relief. He has been relying on a number of different programs. These programs include Public Service Loan Forgiveness and the SAVE plan which lowers payments by tying them to borrowers' income. However, it's worth recalling that earlier this month, the Biden administration received a big blow from one of its own agencies. This was because the administration failed to put strong anti-fraud safeguards in its original plan. The Government Accountability Office exposed shortcomings in Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, saying that it opened the door to fraud. In addition the Government Accountability Office, said that the department approved over 12 million borrower applicants without evaluating the accuracy and outcomes of its application process. And two million students were set to be automatically approved based on their self-reported income without the education department verifying their income or ensuring their eligibility. The documents that are related To special counsel, Jack Smith's search warrant for information related to President Trump's Twitter account were finally released this week. More than half of the search warrant pages were totally redacted, however. This means that the pages appear like a black rectangle with no text. The documents, however, did reveal that federal prosecutors wanted President Trump's search history, his blocked users, his mutes and his tweet draft. Smith also demanded information on all Twitter ex-users who have interacted with President Trump. The warrant asked for all information from the connect or notifications tab for the account, including all lists of Twitter users who have favorited or retweeted tweets posted by the account, as well as all tweets that include the username associated with the account. The warrant also asked for Twitter to hand over advertising information, including advertising IDs and activity and ad topic preferences. President Trump's Twitter search history, his direct messages, and the content of all tweets created, drafted, liked, or retweeted between October of 2020 and January of 2021 were also requested. The warrant was sent to Twitter along with a non-disclosure order. The order told Twitter not to notify President Trump about the government's search. In an appeal, Twitter objected to the non-disclosure order. They argued that the order was in violation of the First Amendment and the Stored Communications Act. However, their challenge failed. Details of the warrant were released earlier this year and then the actual warrant was released by a court order this week. This was after multiple news organizations petitioned the court to have the warrant released to the public in August of 2023. The Department of Justice's court filing from earlier this year that opposed Twitter's attempt to tell President Trump of the search warrant was also released this week. The court filing also tried to argue that Twitter was using the First Amendment as pretense. Twitter apparently wants the court to place Twitter's economic interests over the court's findings in the non-disclosure order and the integrity of the government's ongoing investigation. The court should deny Twitter's motion. On Wednesday, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy recommended that President Trump select Nikki Haley as his running mate. During the New York Times Dealbook Summit, McCarthy was asked to select the right person out of three options to become President Trump's vice president. These options were Marjorie Taylor Greene, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott. McCarthy said that if he were advising anyone, he would choose a vice president who is about adding, not subtracting. So he said he would suggest not picking someone who already resembles President Trump. McCarthy explained, Now, if I was picking for purely political decisions, what it looks like today is the anti-Trump vote is going to Nikki Haley. He argued that President Trump needs a running mate who can win over Republican and independent voters who are opposed to President Trump's second term. He said, If that person is with you, maybe they'd be with you too. McCarthy also said that if Nikki Haley's bid for presidency fails, it will be up to her whether she accepts the position as President Trump's vice president. However, there is a bigger question for President Trump, he said. If he runs on renewing, rebuilding, and restoring, he'll win. If he runs for revenge, he'll lose. McCarthy stressed that the only person that's going to determine that is not his campaign ad, it's him. On Wednesday, Jimmy Carter attended the private funeral of his wife, Rosalind. He was joined by his family at the church where they worshipped. Rosalind Carter died on November 19th at her home in Georgia at the age of 96. At the funeral, Rosalind was honored by the people who knew her best, her children and her grandchildren. Rosalind's casket was carried from Marantha for the last time through the town where she lived for more than 80 of her 96 years. Rosalind's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren walked alongside the SUV that Jimmy Carter rode in. Jimmy Carter arrived at the funeral in a wheelchair. Family members wore necklaces that were made of Hawaiian flowers in order to honor Rosalind Carter's love of Hawaii. Hawaii is where the Carters lived when Jimmy Carter was in the Navy. Jimmy Carter sat in the first row with his sons and daughters during the service. Her funeral concluded with three days of tributes. This included a service on Tuesday that featured Melania Trump, Joe and Joe Biden, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama and Laura Bush. The Carter family had specifically wanted Melania Trump to know she was invited to the funeral. Jason Carter, one of Carter's grandchildren, noted that my grandmother campaigned against and voted against some of their husbands. But she believed that there were some things that were more important than politics. Jason Carter also paid tribute to the leaders who were in attendance. He said, Secretary Clinton and Dr. Biden, we also welcome your lovely husbands. Kamala Harris and Doug Emhoff sat in the second row behind Melania Trump at the service. Georgia's senators, John Ostman and Raphael Warnock were also in attendance, as was Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. During her eulogy, journalist Judy Woodruff greeted the front row by name she said, Rosalind Carter would be so pleased to see that she brought all of you together on this day. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.